Hi everyone and welcome back to Sisters in Crime. Today I will be talking about the mysterious death of Dorothy Jane Scott, who disappeared in May 1980 after receiving many alarming phone calls from an unknown man. Her remains would be found four years after her disappearance. And to this day, her case has unfortunately never been solved. Dorothy was born April 23, 1948 in Anaheim, California. Her son, Sean, was born in 1976. She was a single mother to Sean as Sean's father wasn't really in the picture and he actually lived in Missouri. In 1980, Dorothy was 34 and her son was four. They were living with Dorothy's aunt who lived in Stanton, California, about 20 minutes from Anaheim. And her parents lived in Anaheim as well. She also worked in Anaheim. She was a secretary at a head shop and another shop that was like, it was like an exquisite hippie-like shop. The two shops were very close to one another and she worked quite a bit to provide for her son. Dorothy's father actually had originally owned the psych shop, but had recently sold it to a man named John Kaikola who already owned the shop next door. So Dorothy ended up working for John in one of the back offices. Nice. Her friends and family describe her as being maybe somewhat of the opposite of what you would think from her working at a head shop. She was introverted and a devout Christian, and they also described her as being a very caring mother who was kind and compassionate to everyone she met above all else. She wasn't working. She could usually be found at home as that's where she liked to be. The life she led was not one to elicit any sort of danger. In fact, one friend described Dorothy's life as dull as a phone book, which friend in quotation marks because that doesn't seem like a really nice thing to say about your friend. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I've compared someone's life to a phone book. Yeah, but by all accounts, everything I could find, Dorothy was a really kind, caring person, uh, had no enemies, nothing like that. Like she just was a very kind of like quiet, um, reserved girl. And she loved, she loved her son. She was always at home with him whenever she could be. She didn't drink, do drugs, anything like that. She really didn't even date at all. And sometime during early 1980, she started receiving some sketchy phone calls. She told her mom and her friends that the male's voice on the other end sounded very familiar, but she just couldn't quite place her finger on it. Sometimes the male would confess his love to her, and sometimes he would threaten to murder her and was very violent and resentful. One time the mystery caller said, quote, when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits so no one will ever find you, end quote. You kidding me? So one time, I mean, one moment he's professing his love to her like oh i love you and then i'm going to cut you up into bits so no one can find you yep okay and he actually admitted to stalking her as well at times he would actually describe exactly what she was wearing when he would call and at one point he told her to look outside because he had put a surprise on her car and sure enough when she walked outside a dead rose was on her 1973 station wagon creepy Yes. Obviously, this morbid symbol was very frightening to her, but she still had no clue the caller, um, who the caller could be. Back in 1980, there was much less awareness of the harm that stalking could have. Obviously, this, this was stalking, but back then it was kind of just, 
it wasn't as well known as it is now. So there wasn't really a lot of like protocol, like what she should do. And these calls lasted for months. And actually one of the last calls she ever received freaked her out so much, she decided to take karate lessons so that she would be able to defend herself. So she didn't make any reports or anything? No, she ended up not ever going to the police for whatever reason. Gotcha. She talked to her mom, Vera, about purchasing a gun, too, but never got the chance before she disappeared. In May 28, 1980, she dropped her son off at her parents' house to go to an employee meeting at work. One of her co-workers, Conrad, was not feeling well. He had a rash on his arm and couldn't sit still, so she convinced him to let her take him to the hospital, which was UCI Medical Center, which is University of Cincinnati, Irvine. Anyways, Dorothy's friend Pam also went with them, but Dorothy stopped at her parents' house to check on her son and change clothes real quick. And this is important detail. She actually changed her scarf as well. She was, like, wearing a black one. She changed it to a red one at this at this point. Wait, I think I know this. I think I know this case. I feel like I've heard of it before. Yeah, it's pretty well known. Okay. <laughs> So they got to the hospital, whatever, doctor checks out Conrad, and he actually had been bitten by a black widow spider, which is pretty serious. And he had to stay all day and into the night, uh, but they ended up releasing him around 11 p.m. Conrad still wasn't really doing amazing, so Dorothy offered to go get the car and bring it to the front so he wouldn't have to walk too far, while Conrad and Pam went to the pharmacy to pick up some uh, medication he was prescribed. This took probably about five minutes for them to go get the medication and come back out to the door to um, meet Dorothy. Pam and Conrad were waiting at the door of the hospital for a few minutes, but then decided to walk towards Dorothy's car. because She wasn't out front. When they started walking, they saw her car. And at that point, the car came running like full throttle towards them with the bright lights flashing right at them, making it so they couldn't see who was driving. And Pam and Conrad were of course like waving their hands saying like, hey, slow down right here. The car didn't stop, though, and barely missed hitting Conrad and Pam before it sped off out of the hospital parking lot and into the night with the lights completely shut off. So they obviously were like, WTF, trying to make sense of what just happened. Maybe thought it was something with her son, so they waited a couple of hours for her to come back, but she never returned. They ended up calling Dorothy's mom to see if she had heard from her, but her mom had not heard anything either. So at this point, Pam called the police after she talked with Vera, and they were shockingly not concerned at all. LOL. They they weren't concerned. What? Yeah. Anyways, they were concerned and interested when four to five hours later, her car, Dorothy's car, was found engulfed in flames in this was on Santa Ana Alleyway, which is about 10 miles away from the hospital. Okay, so car, bright lights, speeds past them, almost hits them, then drives away with no lights, and then is found, did you say 10 miles or 10 minutes? 10, about 10 miles away. Okay. Um, and police investigated the scene, but no traces of Dorothy were found, nor any significant pieces of evidence. There have been some reports that there might have been another car near Dorothy's in the hospital parking lot that followed Dorothy's car, meaning there was no meaning that there would be another abductor. And so at this point, this was like 4 a.m. when they found like 4 to 5 a.m. when they found Dorothy's car. 
on fire. But there were no eyewitnesses or anything that saw Dorothy's car being set on fire by anyone or anything like that. No one, they, no one saw anybody getting out of the car, walking near it. And those creepy calls didn't stop after Dorothy disappeared, though. Dorothy's mom, Vera, was now starting to get them. An anonymous male called Vera and asked if she was related to Dorothy. Vera said yes, and the male said, well, I've got her, and hung up. Creepy. Super weird. Vera went to the police, of course, and the police told her and Jacob, who was Dorothy's dad, not to release anything to the media about the calls because they didn't want it to negatively impact the case. However, Jacob got fed up and decided to talk to the Santa Ana Register and offered up a reward with with a story to the publisher of this paper got an anonymous call after the story was released. On the day it was published, which was June 12, 1980, the newspaper's editor, Pat Riley, received a call from a male claiming to be the person responsible for abducting and killing Dorothy. The caller said, quote, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else, and I killed her, end quote. Interesting. Yeah. He authenticated himself by going into detail about things that had not been released. He knew that Dorothy had changed her scarf from a black one to a red one, and he knew about Conrad's spider bite and knew the hospital she took him to. He also stated that Dorothy had called him earlier that day which friends and family said that she had not been dating and not interested in anyone or had a boyfriend at all. Pam said she had been with Dorothy all day, except going to the bathroom and whatnot at the hospital with Conrad, but Pam said she did not hear her on the phone with anyone, Um, and so police didn't really investigate that phone call any further, so it's hard to tell if she really called someone or not, because I feel like... She definitely could have called someone while she's in a bathroom or, you know, if she stepped away for a little bit and Pam wouldn't have known. Um, but it wasn't really investigated. But let's remember this is in the 80s. You can't just go in a bathroom and call somebody. I know, but, like, there's pay phones and stuff. Yeah, you're right. Because they were at the hospital all day. Gotcha. They looked into Sean's dad, Dennis, but he was far away um, in Missouri at the time, so he was quickly ruled out as a suspect. Everyone from the head shop and swingers shop was questioned multiple times, but no leads came from it. Dorothy was actually the back office secretary at both shops, so it wasn't likely that it was a customer that had done this either, just because she wasn't really interacting with them on her day-to-day. They looked at sex offenders in the area as well as people in her social circle, but nothing came up. Her parents even contacted multiple psychics in the area, but still nothing. Dorothy's attacker didn't stop haunting her, though. He would relentlessly call her parents for the next four years. He called every Wednesday asking for Dorothy or saying that he killed Dorothy. Four years? Yes, four years. Did we have, um, like, phone tracking in the 80s? I don't think so. Kind of, and I was going to get into that. Police tried Police tried recording the call and tracing the call. No one recognized the voice, and he would never stay on the line long enough for the call to be traced. It was like he was stalking her parents the way he stalked Dorothy because he kind of knew their routine. He knew when to call and what was going on with them until one Wednesday he called and then didn't say anything, just hung up and never called again. Do you think it was an ex-boyfriend maybe? I mean, it's possible, but again, like, the family and friends, like, swear that she 
nobody in her life like would do that. So there I was. Just, sorry. I just can't believe that it went on for four years and like we we couldn't figure anything out. You know. I know it's crazy. There was really no leads or anything in this case for a while beside the calls, and it started to go cold until August 6, 1984, when a construction worker found dog remains off of Santa Ana Road about 12.5 miles from UCI Hospital. Authorities began digging, and they found human remains underneath the dog remains. They found a pelvis, arm, two thighs, and a skull, along with a turquoise ring and a watch that stopped at 12.30 a.m. on May 29th, 1980. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, it's weird because, like, the watch could keep working, but somehow it stopped, like, right then. Exactly. So was it submerged underwater? Right. So Vera, Dorothy's mom, identified that the turquoise ring found was Dorothy's. And something about that just kind of spoke to me because I feel like the rings I wear, I wear a lot of turquoise. I'm like, I would definitely be, every time I wear them, I'm like, these are definitely like identifiers of me. Like if my family ever had to identify me, they would know that those were my rings. Right. And that big sapphire hunter got you a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah. That one too. That would help. (laughs) Thanks, honey. (laughs) Anyways, about a week after the remains were found, dental records were used to positively identify that the remains, the remains did, in fact, belong to Dorothy James Scott. An autopsy was performed. However, it was inconclusive because of the condition of the remains. It was hard to determine a cause of death. After the announcement of the discovery of Dorothy's remains, Jacob and Vera got one more anonymous call, and the caller asked, Is Dorothy there? And then just weird. Yeah. The case has been cold ever since. Her family held a memorial for her on August 22nd, 1984. And in a eulogy at the funeral, her brother Jim Scott said about her, quote, to me, she exemplified the word give. She just give and give and give no matter what it cost her. She spent her last hours giving and being concerned about others, end quote. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say is like she was more concerned about her coworker. I know, taking him to the hospital. I feel like that definitely speaks volumes about who she was. Oh, absolutely it does. And sadly, Dorothy's father, Jacob, passed away in 1994, and her mother passed away in 2002 without having any closure of what happened to their daughter. That's so sad. I know. There's not been any official suspects in this case, but of course there has been speculation. Um, And police officials really believe that the caller who called the um, Santa Ana Register, the the publisher, Pat Riley, they, they believe that that truly is the killer. They just have never been able to catch him. One man that is thought to have done this is Mike Butler, who Sean became aware of through some of Dorothy's friends who lived in Missouri, is what I found. He was a religious man and was well known in his community, but is said to have alternative religious beliefs, aka cult-like behavior, which would explain the manner of how Dorothy was found possibly with those dog remains buried on top of her. Right, right. Both of Mike's parents were in the Army, but when they retired, they moved to California. He was drafted into the Army and was stationed in Germany in 1967. While stationed there, he became a writer. Um, But after the military, he came back to California, and his sister actually worked with Dorothy at one of the uh, shops. And at that time, Mike was in Anaheim and worked at a machine shop across the road from Dorothy and his sister 
So he could have been close enough to to stalk Dorothy, and she met, that's maybe like a theory of how she could have recognized his voice, but like couldn't put her finger on it. Yeah. So um, like, what what happened to these two? Just they can't pin anything. They don't have anything substantial on these two guys. Yeah, in June 2014, Mike passed away. So even if he had anything to do with it, we may never know. Oh, uh, that sucks. Yeah. He was, like, never officially named as a person of interest or anything. It's just kind of more speculation, which yeah. seems like a good option because he was close to her. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I think it's a good option. Another speculation is the Golden State Killer. Ooh. But there's some similar details in Dorothy's case as the Golden State Killer's M.O. The Golden State Killer would call his victims before murdering them and even called one of his victims a decade later, letting her know that he was still out there. Obviously, he targeted women who were home alone, single women, mothers. He stalked his women and was just creepy little peeping Tom. But there's just never really been like truly like any investigation in that. I don't really think that it's the Golden State Killer. I mean, it's possible. But I feel like this was very, very targeted towards Dorothy. Like, I just feel like this was super personal, whoever did this. I agree. So I'm kind of curious to see what our listeners think. Do you guys think it was the Golden State Killer or these other two guys? We're going to put a poll out. Yes. And then there's there's a last theory that's kind of speculation that maybe Dorothy did have some sort of secret boyfriend, secret ex-boyfriend, kind of like you were talking about, that that she kind of kept hidden. And maybe he found out she was interested in someone else. And that would make sense because he would have known where she lived, where, where she worked, and her family. Well, for, her, you said her family and friends know her the best. Like, didn't they say that she wasn't seeing anybody at the time? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it could have been somebody's secret, like, that she somehow kept secret. Yeah, but, well, I I guess I was thinking if it was an ex-secret boyfriend that was mad that she moved on, like, she hasn't moved on. So I guess it would have to be a current secret boyfriend. But then again, that just doesn't sound like her personality. That's exactly what I felt. I, I don't really think that's a good theory. And I just feel like someone would know. I I'm... Not really a secretive person, but sometimes I can be. But it's like someone in my life I feel like would would know. It's she hard. seems like, like a very like loving, giving, caring person. Somebody's going to know something about her life. Like right, I, I think somebody would know that. Yeah, and she lived with her aunt, so it's not even like she could have really. It just that that one doesn't really seem as plausible to me. Right, I think it's one of the two guys. Definitely. So yeah, but I would really like to hear your guys' thoughts and theories. All like pretty much all of my research, it was kind of these main three theories, and I couldn't find a lot on her on Sean's dad. Um, but I really don't think he has anything to do with it either. He was definitely like ruled out early on. So, but I'm just curious what you guys think. So we'll put a poll up on our Instagram. Let us know. Uh, sorry for the late upload on this but your girl got a new job i'm trying to figure out what we're doing with this you know with my new job and we just got a little behind this week life happens but um we got it out to you guys and we're gonna get you another one next week i am going to do a uh an episode that a listener suggested so don't forget 
to suggest episodes to us. We love to hear listener-suggested topics. Yes, please suggest some topics. Um, and if you haven't yet, follow us on Instagram. Sisters in Crime Pod. That's Sisters, the letter N, Crime Pod. Or you can email us. Sisters in Crime Pod at gmail.com. Sisters, letter N, Crime Pod at gmail.com. There you have it, folks. Let us know how we do. Give us a suggestion. You can now rate us on Spotify. So, Spotify listeners, get over there and rate us. Apple podcasters, Apple podcast listeners, rate us if you haven't already. Do it. Okay, bye. We'll see y'all next week.